You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Well, good morning. So I think Brian promised you the chaplain from UCF this week. And it turns out the chaplain from UCF was double booked. So I'm sure Brian will work to get the chaplain back or the campus minister from UCF back sometime soon. Uh, so this is what Plan C looks like. All right. And many of you have asked about my attire today. I promise you, if I could pull off skinny jeans and an untucked shirt, I would. <laughs> but I think I'd look like I was trying to look like Brian. So I um, hope everybody at home and in here is comfortable in, in, in whatever you're wearing today. I'll be uncomfortable in what I'm wearing today. Um, but it's good to be with you uh, today. And I also wanted to wish Liam and Sandy in the back happy Thanksgiving. Tomorrow is Canadian Thanksgiving. So to and anybody else online or here from Canada, we wish you happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Liam and, and Sandy, we're glad to have you as part of our community. I saw somebody today actually brought a real Bible to church. I'm excited about that. If you brought a real Bible, feel free to follow along. If you have a digital Bible, feel free to follow along. I'll be reading from Mark 10, verses uh, 17 through 30. Hear are the good news. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving because he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God, for God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in the age to come. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. This is the good news of the Lord. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Oh God, 
May the words from my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. 30 years ago, about 30 years ago, Jesus died. Remember Jesus? Just a little bit over 30 years ago, Jesus died. Jesus was the Messiah, the one who said he was coming back again. But it's been 30 years, and Jesus hasn't come back. Remember Peter and Paul? Peter and Paul who were leading this radical Jewish movement they called Christianity? They left Jerusalem and made their way here to Rome. Just last summer, half of Rome, half of our city, burned to the ground. And then Nero and everybody in power, what did they do? They pointed to this ragtag sect of Jews who called themselves Christians and Gentiles who had joined them and said they were responsible for this calamity, this disaster that had befallen the capital city of one of the greatest empires in the history of earth. And they said, the Christians, you Christians, you're at fault for Rome burning. And so Nero and the civil authorities and probably all of those in power began to ostracize, to marginalize, and even to kill Christians. You. And your leaders were first. Because it wasn't long ago that they set an example by crucifying Peter and crucifying Paul. Your world, our world, has been turned upside down. It's been 30 years since the Messiah came, the one who said he was coming back, and he hasn't come back yet. And so here, here we are. Here we are. Wondering if what we had dedicated our lives to, what we had given everything up for, was the right thing to do. It's into this context. It's to this audience. The people who had seen their world turned upside down overnight by a fire that swept through Rome. That Mark, the gospel writer, begins to write. It was probably between the year of 64 and 70 that Mark began to try to record the sermons of Peter. Now, Mark was one of the first gospel writers to put this story down. Wasn't doing a play-by-play while Jesus was walking around the countryside. This was 64, 65 years into the era we call A.D. or C.E. And 
30 years after Jesus had died. So he was trying to get down on paper what Peter had said. And he was speaking to a group of people who were being blamed for the Roman fire, were being ostracized, and were being killed and had watched their leaders being killed. And that explains some of the odd wording at the end of this at the end of this passage where it says, even with persecution, you shall have all these things a hundredfold. He's talking to people who are being persecuted as he writes. So try to get your mind around what it was like to hear these words, to receive these words, to write these words after Rome had burned and just a few years before Rome would go down to Jerusalem during Passover, while Jews from around the world were gathered and sack Jerusalem and kill all those who had gathered for Passover. The world had been turned upside down. And it's to those people that Mark was writing. You know, I don't think that we often read the gospel through the eyes of maybe the first people who were there to hear it. A lot of times we read it through our own lenses and we're trying to understand what the good news is for us today. But listen to the good news that he is trying to reassure these folks who had given their lives to Christ who had begun this journey of discipleship, that their world had been turned upside down, but he's assuring them, he's reassuring them that Christ will make it right. And he's using the voice and the story of Jesus talking to his disciples and telling the disciples to notice how the world has been turned upside down even then and that he has come to help them make it right. Many interpreters of the gospel, and I count myself one of them, believe that Jesus had actually come to announce the year of the Jubilee. Now, you may or may not remember the term Jubilee from Leviticus, but the law was that every 50 years, all debts were forgiven, all slaves were to be freed, all property was to be returned to its original owners. Every 50 years, that was the law, according to Leviticus. And if you read in Luke, when Jesus gets run out of town in his hometown, the scripture he gets run out of town for preaching on is the one in Isaiah where he says, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee year. I have come to help society turn itself back right side up. Because over time, things can get really out of whack. Wealth can accumulate in the hands of a few, and there are many people who are left without, and that poverty, that oppression, that persecution, and that marginalization only gets worse over time. And so here's Mark talking to a group of people whose worlds had been flipped on their heads by a disaster that befell Rome all of a sudden. 
but is using the words of Jesus who's coming into a society saying that your world has been turned upside down over time and I'm here to make it right according to the laws of God, according to the laws of Judaism. The way that that wealth disparity had grown at that time in Jerusalem had been that landowners had begun to accumulate more and more parcels of land. So if a person had gone in debt, they would have to give their land to that person. So people were being separated from their family land. And they would have to go away and find work, and they'd be separated from their families, from their mothers, their brothers, their sisters, their fathers. And so the land would accumulate in the hands of a few. And the people that had originally owned the land were without. But every 50 years, that's supposed to reverse itself. And people are supposed to come back to their family land, come back to their families. And so this idea that people will have a hundredfold the fields that they had before, the family that they had before, that wasn't some far off or some mystical place that we call eternal life. It was supposed to happen in this life. There was supposed to be justice in this life. So Mark was talking to people whose worlds had been turned upside down over the course of a summer. And Jesus was talking to people whose worlds had been turned upside down over the course of generations. And he's saying the good news is that this world will be restored when we get our minds around the fact that this wealth inequity, this idea of persecuting and scapegoating people who are different than we are, is something that needs to be corrected. And so what's, what's the word for us today? What's the word for us today? It's possible, maybe even likely, that over the course of the last two years, your world has felt like it's been turned upside down. It's not just that we've been enduring a pandemic, but the pandemic has had economic consequences for all of us. And for many of us, that's been devastating. It's been fascinating to me to watch the stock market rise as unemployment rose. And so those whose wealth is based on investments really are doing okay. And those whose wealth is based on salaries are not doing so okay. But here's the good news, that Jesus is coming to help us make that right. But Jesus needs us to recognize our role in creating and sustaining injustice and persecution, and scapegoating. Liam, would you mind putting up this slide? So even though our worlds have been turned upside down over the course of the last couple of years, we live in a zip code 
that has twice the median income of the United States. We live in a zip code that has, twice, has about 50 times the median income of the world. All right? This man is a 44-year-old man in Zimbabwe who feeds his family by picking through the trash heaps of Zimbabwe. He had to wait four hours for a vaccine for COVID. Thank goodness that he had access to a vaccine for COVID. But four hours away from this as his job kept him from feeding his family that day. Imagine that if he didn't have access to the vaccine. Imagine if he didn't have access to the hospital care in case he had gotten sick. What's his family's plan B if this didn't work? Thank you, Liam. It's important for us to recognize that even when our world gets turned upside down, we're getting turned upside down in a world that really is vastly different from the wealthy to the poor. And the way that Jesus comes in and helps make things right is for us to figure out our role in helping to make things right. And so even while we're trying to hear the good news and live out the good news of Jesus coming and turning our world back upside right, we have to understand our responsibility in trying to alleviate this economic injustice that gets perpetuated over decades as well. We also have to be aware that we as a society also tend to blame calamities on people who are different than we are. The Asian violence, the Asian American violence that's been happening over the course of the pandemic is an example of that. It's no different than the Christians being blamed for the fire in Rome. I would imagine the Haitians at the border who are being deported back to an island that they left five years ago with yet another hurricane, another earthquake, and another violent change in government feel like their world has been turned upside down. We need to understand how easy it is for us to be the man who falls to his knees in front of Jesus and asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes through all of the commandments, but did you notice Jesus added one? Don't defraud. Which of the 10 is that? <laughs> okay. He added one, don't defraud. But if you go back and you look at that, Scripture in Leviticus that talks about the way people accumulate wealth, it talks about the wealthy defrauding and cheating the poor. And so he's telling the, the guy, you've done all that you can do. And, and, he, and he pushes, he pushes more. and says, but what, what more must I do? And Jesus says, go sell all you have and give to the poor. Talk about leveling up. He didn't say, go give a little bit, go work, go do 10 volunteer hours per week. He said, send everything that you have to the poor. And he walked away because he couldn't do that. Just like many of us, just like many of us 
are really connected to the things that we have and could not walk away from that. We understand where he was coming from. It'd be wrong for us to vilify him because we understand our own attachments and how hard it would be for us to distance ourselves from all that we had built up, all that we had worked so hard for, all that our parents endowed us with, to follow him. And so we hear the good news that Jesus came to help us make the world right again by addressing the times when we scapegoat and stopping it, by finding the times when we help exaggerate the wealth disparities and stopping that. But we also hear the good news for us. When our world is turned upside down, Jesus will be there to help us turn it right side back up. But to the extent that we're on the wrong side of this equation, to the extent that we are the man kneeling at Jesus' feet, hear this good news. Not even Jesus would allow the man to call him good. Not even Jesus would accept the word good. If Jesus would reject the word good as a description of himself, what he was saying to him to the man in front of him, and to the rest of us, is it is impossible for us to be good enough to inherit eternal life. It is impossible. It is impossible. It's not hard. It's impossible for us to do anything that will make us worthy of eternal life. So hear the good news. Jesus goes on to say, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you. <laughs>